Thank you for listening to this message from the pulpit of New Grace Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. We hope the message you are about to hear is a blessing to you and your family. All right, now, of course, we are in what we call the Advent season here. We are in the third week of Advent, and Advent is a, a special time in the life of a believer. It's, it's not Christmas. Christmas and Advent are not the same thing. Uh, now, look, if you're like, well, I say Merry Christmas, not Happy Advent. I say Merry, I don't say Happy Advent. Uh, Advent is just something we do during the Christmas time uh, to really help us focus on what the birth of Christ really means. But Advent literally means to, to anticipate, to look forward. It means coming or arrival. And so during the Advent season, we look back in thanks to the truth that Jesus came to, came to us and was born of a virgin in Bethlehem, that God became flesh, lived a perfect, sinless life, and died in our place to save us from our sins. We look back and thank God for that truth, but we also look forward to the promise of God returning again. We look forward to the second coming of Jesus. Again, it means coming or arrival, and Advent is marked by expectation. Uh, by anticipation and longing. It's, it's not just an extension of Christmas. It is a, a time that links the past, present, and future together. It offers us the opportunity to really reflect on what God has done and thank Him for what He's going to do and to, to share in the longing of the coming Messiah. Uh, so Advent looks back in, in, in celebration of what God has done and it looks forward in anticipation of what God is going to do. And so each week we focused on kind of different attributes of the Advent season, of God's character we see in Advent. Hope, love, joy, peace. And this morning we're going to look at joy. And we have these aspects because God, the Bible says, is Emmanuel, is God with us. And God with us gives us hope. God with us gives us peace. God with us gives us joy. And God with us gives us love. And so we, we are celebrating those things today. And this morning, we're going to look at the joy that the Advent season brings. And as I've said, not only this morning, but many times in the past, joy and happiness are not the same thing. Happiness is based on your circumstances. Happiness is based on what's going on in your life. You can be happy that your, your team does well in the college football playoffs. I would have no idea what that is like, uh, but you can be happy about that. Uh, you can be, and happiness comes and goes. Uh, several years ago, I was happy that UVA had made it to the, the March Madness tournament, and then they lost in the first game. I lost my happiness very quickly. But then the next year, we won the whole thing. And it was the last season that counted because then COVID came. And so we, we still are the reigning national champions uh, from 2019. I'm going to hold on to that until uh, we win again this year. But happiness is based on your circumstances. Joy goes deeper than that. And Christmas is a, a time of happiness. You know, kids are crazy happy during this time. 
You know, they get all the, the presents and the treats and the movies and, and just they get caught up in all the, the aspect of Christmas and they're happy about it. As a parent, I, I am happy during Christmas as I see my children enjoying the things of the season. Several years ago, me and April had decided that we were not going to do anything during the Christmas season that our kids didn't ask about. Because we used to do all kinds of stuff. We'd go cut our Christmas tree down. We'd make sure they went to see Santa. We'd take them caroling. We'd do cookies and have crafts all year, all season long, just to make sure they were enjoying the season. One year, it's like, you know, we are running ourselves ragged trying to do this stuff. We're not going to do anything they don't want to do. And so the next year, we didn't, we didn't plan it until they asked about it. And they, there's a few things they ask about. They always want to go cut our Christmas tree down, which we love. Uh, we enjoy doing that. They always want to have a list of Christmas movies they, they watch throughout the season. They always want to watch Polar Express on Christmas Eve. And so they have the things they want to do. Uh, they haven't really wanted to see Santa in a couple years, which I'm, I'm thankful for. Connor grew out of it. Lexi thinks it's weird to go sit on a strange man's lap and tell him what you want. So grateful for that. Uh, but so Christmas has a lot of happiness in it. Um, and we see that in not just, you know, our activities, but we see in the, the commercials they do at Christmas. I, I love the commercials at Christmas time. How many of y'all have seen those commercials where a husband buys his wife a brand new car on Christmas Day? Anyone ever done that? No. If I, on Christmas morning, were to wake up and take April outside and show her that brand new Lexus I bought her, she would murder me. Because I don't have the money for a Lexus. And she knows the budget, and she'd be like, well, who, in the, who are you? So I, don't, I wish I knew people that could afford to just randomly go out and buy cars for their spouses, but I don't know them. Uh, now, look, you, people may get a car at Christmas, you know, may give your kid a car at Christmas, but it's, you know, it's a 1978 Pinto, not a 2024 Lexus convertible. Uh, and again, if you're buying your kid a Lexus convertible, we need to talk. Uh, you need to start tithing better. Uh, but anyway, or those, those commercials where people get a puppy for Christmas, and the kid walks in and there's a big box, and the kid opens the box and out pops the puppy. Have you ever tried to put a puppy in a box? Again, you may get a dog at Christmas, but you're not getting a puppy in a box that sits quietly under the tree waiting for you to come. You cannot contain a puppy. It's, they're loud, they're noisy, they're messy, and then when you do let it out of the box, you know, puppies go everywhere and just lick everything that they can. They get in everybody's face and just lick all over them. Say, how do you know? Because I have, I have, we have six dogs at our house. We got every single one of them when they were a puppy. Two of them are still puppies. They're less than a year old. And when I get home this afternoon, Connor's dumb dog is going to run to the bedroom, jump on the bed, wait for me to sit down, and then lick every inch of my face for 15 minutes. Because that's what puppies do. Puppies are, you know, they, you can't contain a puppy in a box. They spill out. They lick everyone around them. But here's the thing. When you get a puppy, it doesn't stop there. You want to share your puppy with everybody. You want to... Post it on Facebook, hey, look at, our, look at what we just got. Look at this puppy, and it's so adorable. And, oh, this puppy's so great, and you want to take it around and show it to your neighbors. And maybe if it's a kid, they want to take the puppy to see grandma and grandpa. And puppies are a lot like joy. It spills out and affects everyone around them. And so they want to show that joy is like that. Joy is, now it's not hairy, it's not noisy, and it's not messy, but it overflows 
into every aspect of your life, and you want to share it with everyone. So we're going to start reading in uh, Luke chapter 1. We're going to look at some joy this morning. We're going to start reading verse number 5. <clears throat> there was in the days of Herod, king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias, and of course, uh, of the course of Abba, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. So we meet Zacharias and Elizabeth to what the Bible says, righteous, godly people. This is a godly couple. He's a priest. She serves in the community. And there's just people think of them. They think they are righteous. They are holy. They are blameless before God. Verse 7. And they had no child because that Elizabeth was barren. And they were both now well stricken in years. And so during this time, we'll get into that, this was being barren was a, a stigma. It was an aspect of shame for a woman. And so we see that they've never had kids, and now they're too old to have kids, and it's a, it's a difficult time for them. Verse 8, And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord, and the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. So Zacharias is doing his, he, his, his shift to work has come up. He is doing the incense before the altar. And during this time, people would be outside the, tap, the temple praying and waiting on him as he did this thing. It's a very special occasion. Verse 11, And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. Now, again, we've talked about this before. Our idea of angels is vastly different than what an angel actually is. Angels weren't, you know, aren't these fat little cherubs with diapers and playing the harp. Angels are like nine-foot-tall warriors. They're, they're, they're muscular. They're, they're carrying flaming swords. They're shining with the righteousness and holiness of God. So every time in Scripture someone encourages an angel, they're always scared. Because it's a fearful sight to see. And so Zacharias encourages, encounters this angel, and he is very afraid. But the angel said to him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit and the power of Elias, and turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So Zacharias, he meets this angel, and he gets an incredible announcement. Your wife is going to have a child, but it's not just any child. This child is going to be used by God to do incredible things. 
He's going to turn people's heart to God. He is, he, and he tells them this. He is the, the prophesied forerunner in Isaiah. The Bible says that there'll be one crying in the wilderness, preparing the way for the, for the Messiah. And he goes, hey, your kid, your son, is the prophesied forerunner of the Messiah. He's going to declare that God is coming to man, and God's going to use him in an incredible way. Man, this is a great announcement. People are going to rejoice because of this Zacharias. He should be ecstatic. Look at what he says in verse 18. And Zacharias under the, said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am old, and my wife is well stricken in years. Doesn't respond in faith. Doesn't say, thank you, Lord, for answering our prayers. Basically looks at the angel and says, uh, Yeah, I doubt it. I'm old. My wife's old. You got the wrong couple. Not a, not a great response to an, an angel showing up and declaring you. So look at verse 19. And the angel, angel answered, saying unto him, I am Gabriel, that stand in the presence of God, and instead to speak unto thee and to show thee these glad things. And behold, thou shalt be dumb. And again, I think telling an angel he's a liar is already pretty dumb. But anyway, thou shalt be dumb and not be able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed, because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. So he tells him, says, look, you didn't believe me? Now you can't talk. Until that baby's born, you will not speak a word. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he tarried so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak unto them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple. For he beckoned unto them and remained speechless. And it came to pass that as soon as the days of his ministration were accomplished, when his, his work was over, he departed to his own house. And after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months, saying, Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked on me to take away my reproach among men. So this is an incredible story talking about the birth of Jesus' cousin. We'll see that in a minute. John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ. And so Zacharias and Elizabeth, they're old, they're childless. Zacharias gets a vision, doesn't believe the angel, so he's struck dumb. And then he has to go home and tell Elizabeth what he'd been told, but he can't talk. So I don't know how he does this. I don't know if he writes it down. I don't know if he does your rage, like, you know, you pregnant. I don't know what he does. But for somehow, he tells Elizabeth what is happening. And now, I, I can't imagine what Elizabeth felt when she got this news. We know what Zachariah felt. He was doubtful. He didn't believe what the angel had told him. But Elizabeth, we see, had incredible joy. But to understand her joy, you really got to understand her pain. Again, during this time in culture, children were a tremendous blessing. You say, Pastor, is that not a blessing anymore? We'll get to that later. Anyway, Psalms 127, the Bible says, Look, children are a gift of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is a reward. As arrows in the hand of a mighty warrior, so are children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has a quiver full of them. He shall not be ashamed when he speaks with the enemies at the gate. So to be childless during this time was a great source of frustration and sorrow and shame. And Elizabeth knew this pain. 
She knew the pain of being looked on by her community and her culture and people telling her and thinking of her, she's not as much of a woman as someone else. She's barren. The fruit of the womb is a reward. She gets no reward. So she knew this shame. She knew this pain. Now, I'm sure her and Zacharias had gotten married when they were young, and I'm sure they expected and wanted to have children. And during that time, you, you always, as soon as you got married, you had kids. And so a couple, couple years go by and, and nothing. Maybe they just chalked it up to, you know, difficulty or whatever. But she would have, uh, she would have wanted to have a, a home filled with kids. She would have dreamed of holding her own babies. She may have even had a list of names tucked away somewhere about what she would call her children. Now, again, she may have just dismissed at first the, the lack of getting pregnant. It's just, you know, it's just timing. It's just not, it's, not, it's not right right now. It's just no big deal. But then things went on. Maybe, like a lot of women, she did get pregnant. But then something happened, and she lost the baby. Maybe she had, as soon as she got pregnant, she would have joy, but then eventually that joy would, would, be, would fade as she lost the child. Maybe she even told people she was pregnant, and then something happened. And of course, that's, that's physically, that's emotionally painful, but after one, she may have just said, well, that's just, it's just a fluke. Yeah, they were, they were common in this time period. Maybe one, maybe two, no big deal, but as Time went on, still no child, still no baby. She began to understand something different here. And look, she probably had well-intentioned family and friends giving her advice. I'm sure some of them were like Job's friends. Well, Elizabeth, you've just got some sin in your life, and once you get rid of that sin, God will, God will bless you. Or they probably said, well, you know what you need to try, Elizabeth? I saw, this, I saw this great thing on TikTok. And if you do this, you'll get pregnant. And look, me and April, you know, we've got three beautiful children, but we, we struggled for, for years with having children. Went through a couple of uh, miscarriages, and people would always offer their, their remedies. Oh, you got to drink this tea. Take this. Do this. And, you know, they think they're being helpful. They think they're being, but it's really not. It's, it just brings more pain, more heartache, more pain. Eventually, her hope of having children would have died, and she would have been labeled with the social stigma of barren. It was a shameful and permanent mark. I'm sure there were some nights Elizabeth cried, mourning the loss of ever being a mother of losing that status. She would have never been considered worthy or esteemed by other women. Now, I'm sure she had happiness in her life. You know, she was married to Zacharias. They were, both, well, they were both involved in the community. So I'm sure she had happiness. And despite her pain, she remained faithful to God. And that's how she planned to live out the rest of her life. And then Zacharias gets visited by an angel, but he can't tell her. I don't know how he told her or what he told her, but eventually the Bible says she conceived, and she knew she was pregnant. Now, 
Bible says she hid herself away for five months. Maybe she hid herself away because she thought no one's going to believe me. I've been pregnant so many times before or, or whatever, and it never happened. So maybe she just wanted to, maybe, maybe again, that fear that I, I've been here before. And if I get too excited, something's going to happen. So she just hid herself away for five months until maybe she was, she was showing. So we do know is that in the sixth month of her pregnancy, she got a visitor. Look at verse number 39. And Mary arose in those days. This is right after Mary gets her visit from Gabriel, telling her she's going to conceive and have a son. And so and Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into a city of Judah. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. And she spake out loud with a voice, saying, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of of thy womb. So Mary leaves home and she goes to see Elizabeth and she gets to look to Elizabeth uh, after about three months. And as soon as she arrives and she goes, Hey, Elizabeth, I'm here. Elizabeth's baby in her womb, this six month old, you know, she's six months pregnant now. This baby inside of her leaps with joy at the voice of Mary. And Elizabeth is filled with with the Holy Spirit, and she begins to, to sing praises to God. Look at verse uh, 45, look at verse 42 again. Um, and she spake out loud with a voice and said, Blessed are among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leapt in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believed, for there shall be performance of those things which were told of her from the Lord. So Elizabeth, she, she meets, she sees Mary for the first time, and we don't know how long. But as soon as she hears her voice, the baby leaps with joy. She is filled with the Holy Spirit, and she is filled with joy, and her joy just overflows. And she gives this incredible blessing to Mary. The puppy was out of the box. Her joy was overflowing. It was contagious. It was incredible. Mary, later on in the, after, the, after this, Mary bursts into her own uh, song of praise and thanksgiving to God thanking him for the miracle that is inside of her. Now, without Mary having to explain, Elizabeth knew what was happening. Without Mary having to say a word, she shows up at Elizabeth's door, and because, again, you got to put yourself in this time period, there wasn't, she couldn't text, text Elizabeth and say, hey, got an angelic visit, I'm going to have the Messiah. Couldn't send her an email, couldn't even send her, there was really not even mail at that time. So when Mary shows up, we have to assume Elizabeth has no idea what's going on in her life. But she's very early on pregnant with Jesus. And as soon as she shows up, Mary, uh, Elizabeth instantly knows what's happening. She's filled with the Holy Ghost. She goes, blessed are you. You are carrying the Lord in your womb. And these two woman, women, they understand what was happening. They understood the enormity of this miracle. And they share in the incredible joy that it has bringing. Already, Emmanuel, God with us, is unleashing this joy on earth. Look at verse number 57 of Luke chapter 1. Now Elizabeth's full time came that she should be delivered, and she brought forth her son. 
And her neighbors and her cousins heard how the Lord had showed great mercy upon her, and they rejoiced with her. So John is born three months later, but the joy doesn't just stay in Mary's house. The neighbors hear about it. The village hears about it. Her friends hear about it. And they share in the joy that she is experiencing. Now for Elizabeth, this joy must have been incredibly overwhelming. She's been barren for so many years. She is past the age of having children. And she's holding her baby boy. She's holding her newborn son. She was experiencing a miracle that healed a lifetime of hurt and pain and shame. We see three aspects of joy in this story. First thing we want to notice, want to look at, is we want to see our source of joy. Our source of joy. What would you give to experience that kind of joy, joy that took away all the pain you had experienced in your life, removed all the shame from the problems that you faced, and everything was just washed away. Now, we, I, I promise you, will probably not see the same miracle. None of, none of you, I guarantee, will see the same miracle Mary experienced. That's done. Maybe we'll get a miracle like, like Elizabeth. We don't know. We may not experience the same type of miracle, but no matter what we're going through, the joy that Elizabeth shared in is available to us to do to today. And this joy is brought to us by the Lord Jesus Christ who came for us, died for us, rose again for us, and is coming again to get us one day. That is the source of our joy. Our joy is in God with us. Now, he's in heaven right now. He is waiting to come and get us. But that joy is still available to us. First Peter says, whom, have not, whom having not seen you love. How many of you have seen God in the flesh? Please, put, yeah, thank you. No one put their hand up. If you did, we were going to have a chat. We've never seen God, but we love God because he loves us. But it says, whom you have not seen you love and whom though you, you now see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Here's what Peter's saying. Through Jesus, through salvation, through putting our trust in his work on the cross, his life, his death in place of us, his resurrection to redeem us, and putting our faith and trust in him, we have joy that cannot be put into words. It cannot be described. And this runs deeper than happiness. Look, we all want to be happy. We, no one walks around thinking, I wish I was sad all the time. Now, we all may know someone who we think is sad all the time. We have someone who, you know, they're, they're like Eeyore on Winnie the Pooh. Just, oh, life is terrible. And you're like, I don't have anybody in my life like that. You're that person to somebody else. Uh, but, you know, we all, we, we, we want to be happy. We want to be joyful. We love to feel good. But happiness comes and goes in the circumstances around us. Happiness can come from a lot of things. You know, you, you, you hear your favorite song. You know, I, I love, you know, in, in, the, in the, the summer, I like riding that, down a country road 
with the windows down and music blaring and singing at the top of my lungs. I can't sing for a lick, but I have a good time doing it. I just, you know, happiness comes from a lot of different places. It comes from an encouraging message, from a good meal. Those are good and should be savored, but they're all fleeting. Pursuing happiness for the sake of happiness is a shallow, self-centered, unrewarding pursuit. Victor Frankl, he is a, a, a Jewish believer, but he was, he was converted after World War II. He was a survivor of the Nazi concentration camps. And he says, it is the very pursuit of happiness that thwarts happiness. Just trying to be happy keeps us from being happy. Joy includes happiness, but it goes deeper than that. It's rooted in gratitude. It's rooted in hope. And it's fulfilled in a relationship with our Creator. Joy comes from God with us. Jesus is the only source of joy we truly have. It's part of our inheritance. Joy is part of the inheritance that you get as having Christ as your Savior. John 16. And you now, therefore, have sorrow, but I will see you again. And your heart shall rejoice and your joy no man takes from you. Jesus says, look, with me as your Savior, you're going to receive joy that no matter what you are going through, that joy will never be taken away. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, it brings joy to our lives. It brings joy to our hearts. The promise that God has given us that this world is not all there is, that no matter what we're facing here, he is going to come and receive us and take us into heaven and then re, re, remake the world as it should be, the joy that he's coming again. That brings us joy that we know, yeah, this world is a mess. But this world isn't all there is. We have joy that Jesus is coming to receive us again. We can know with confidence that even greater unending joy awaits us one day. Joy. We see the, the, the source of our joy. Second thing we see is joy defies our circumstances. Joy defies our circumstances. Again, happiness is based on your situation. It's based on what you're going through. Joy stays with us even if we're facing difficult hardships in life. Joy comes from the understanding that Jesus is with us, and he sees the bigger picture. That whatever we're going through, God has a purpose and a plan for it. James 1 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into different temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. See, joy understands that even in pain... God is working. God is doing something in our lives for his honor and for his glory. And joy knows that, yes, we may have pain while we're on earth today, but one day God's going to fix everything. One day God's going to make everything as it should be. There'll be no more tears. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more sickness. There'll be no, none of the things we struggle with on this earth will ever happen again. You know, this morning I had to, before I came to church, I had to fill up my gas tank. Man, that hurt. 
one day I won't have to worry about gas. Because one day, Bible, you know, a lot of people think that, you know, one day when we're in the new heaven and the new earth, we can just travel at the, at the speed of thought. So some of us are going to be slower than others, but we're still going to get there on our own. We're going to have all the joy, and everything that's broken is going to be fixed and made new. And because of that, we can experience joy no matter how bad things get here. And look, you may be facing some situations this, this Christmas season that are, that are hurtful. Look, I know several people who this Christmas holiday is going to be a hard Christmas. Maybe it's the first Christmas without a loved one. Maybe pain is there, and you got to see family that have hurt you. And so Christmas can bring a lot of pain, but the Bible tells us no matter what we're facing, we have joy in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Pain is real, but we got to see things from Jesus' perspective. See him in the pain and know that he is working it for our good. You know, we may not experience a miracle as big as Elizabeth's, but we all have the miracle of the joy of God this Advent season. We have the truth that God, Jesus, came to us, lived a life we could never live, died in our place, and rose again to pay our sin debt. And so he can heal our hurt, and he can give us joy no matter what we're facing. Last thing I want to look at before we close this morning is number three, joy is a choice. We have to understand this. We have to really get this truth. Joy is a choice, and joy is an action. When Mary came to Elizabeth, Elizabeth was overcome with joy, and that joy spread to Mary. Look back at verse number uh, 46 of John, uh, Luke chapter 1. It says, And Mary said, My soul does magnify the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. These are important words that Mary is speaking, especially the word rejoice. In the Greek, the word rejoice there, it's a verb, and it is in the active imperative tense. It means Mary is choosing to have joy in her situation. Here's the thing. She didn't have to. Mary is in her own difficult spot. She is an unmarried, pregnant woman in ancient Israel. This was not a good place to be. And look, even, even Joseph, when Mary came to him and said, Hey, honey, you know, I know we, we just got engaged. Thanks for the ring, by the way. They didn't have rings. But, you know, thanks for the ring. You know, I've been planning a wedding. It's going to be great. Blah, blah, blah. You know, we're going to have all kinds of, you know, barn stuff going around there. But, hey, just wanted to let you know, God came to me the other night, and God wanted me to let you know that I'm pregnant with his child. Still a virgin. No big deal. Thanks. Joseph didn't believe her. So how do you know that? Because Luke 2 tells us he was going to put her away privately. Now, he could have had her stoned to death. So props to Joseph for not killing her for what she, for what she told him. But he's like, you know what? I don't believe you. I'm going to put you away. I'm, I'm going to move on, get rid of you. We're done. We're over. Gabriel had to come to Joseph and tell Joseph, no, Joseph, Mary's telling the truth. For him to believe her. But you think the rest of society would? When she's walking around, you know, six, seven, eight months pregnant, and they're like, wait a minute, Mary, you're, 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 not, you're, not, you're not married. Who's the daddy? Oh, God's the father. Oh, okay. You know the, the prophesied virgin in Isaiah? Yeah, that's me. 
Okay, that's a good one, Mary. So Mary had her own problem she had to deal with. So her family rejected her. Her community, she, she had to go to, to Elizabeth for a reason because maybe no one knew her in Elizabeth's hometown. So she could live her life there and not have to worry about the stigma or the, the punishment that would come from her doing this. So she didn't have to choose to rejoice, but she does. Because she goes, what I'm going through now, it's, it's not great. Me and Joseph had a real difficult conversation, and God had to step in and make him believe me. It's not fun, but it's, it's, it's going to bring joy to the entire world. So I am rejoicing that God has chosen to use me. And look, here's the thing. No matter what we're facing, we can and should choose to rejoice. You know, God, we can embrace the miracle that God is with us. And God is using us for his honor and his glory. And we can rejoice in the work he's doing in and through our lives. See, the Bible is, is filled. There are over 200 commands in the Bible commanding us to rejoice. Over 200 times. God, it's not, it's not suggestions where 200 times God's saying, you know what, maybe you should, you should probably rejoice a little bit. No, 200 times God says, you should rejoice. I command you to rejoice. You know why he has to tell us so many times? Because we forget. Because we focus on the problems instead of the Savior. Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He had to, two times he had to tell us there. Romans 12, rejoicing in hope. Patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. Now, those are only a few, but every one of them, the message is the same. We, no matter what we're facing, no matter what we're going through, we have a reason to choose joy because God is with us. We have to choose to be joyful in what we're facing. Let's choose to make this a season of joy. Let's rejoice as we wait on the arrival of Christ and let's celebrate his birth with joy. Let's celebrate that God is with us and so joy is with us, a joy that overflows and conquers everything we're facing. And let's allow this joy to flow out to others because our King, our Savior, has come and he's always loving, he's always working, he's always with us, and he's coming to receive us again one day. Thank you for listening to this message from New Grace Baptist Church. For more information about New Grace, check out our website at www.reachingroanoke.com.